Welcome to episode 60 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. <laughs> I'm Jordan Steinhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. Woohoo! <laughs> we are live streaming over on Mixler. So uh, right now we've got Mike and Chris listening to us. Welcome, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. You can join us over at Mixler.com slash, I believe it's all dash us dash geeks, I think is what they did. But if you just go to the allusgeeks.com website, you'll see a link to over there and you can follow us and you will get alerted whenever we go live, which we will be doing pretty much every other Tuesday around 6 p.m. Central. All right, let's just go ahead and go to Anime Don's Edumacation Lecture, sponsored by Timothy D., one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Timothy, for sponsoring us over on Patreon and letting us do things like listen to Don educate us about anime. Oh, hello, listeners. We can officially say, we can officially put the S on. There's two in the room. <laughs> oh, three now. Nikki's in. Yeah. <laughs> do as you're told, Nugget Jeff. Go ahead. Okay. I'm going to start a little series that has to do with cultural differences of Japan. Now, that's an enormous topic in and of itself. So I'd like to talk about just the little things that when you're watching anime, things that don't really make sense, they seem out of place from our perspective. This is somewhat related to the language of film, which I talked about last time I was on. They can be related, and things in the language of film can come directly from the culture. One interesting one that I thought of was sometimes in an anime series, you'll see two characters talking about a third person. Suddenly, it'll cut away to that third person who will suddenly sneeze. And they'll say, or it'll be translated as, oh, I wonder if I'm coming down with a cold. But what they sometimes say, or sometimes actually say, is someone must be talking about me, which seems like a very odd thing to say from our perspective. Well, there's an old wives' tale in Japan that says that if you sneeze, well, not from a cold or someone throwing pepper in your face, but just one of those random by the blue sneezes, it's because somebody's talking about you. This is used in anime series often, even ones not necessarily comedies, but all sorts of series, because it's a convenient device to remind the viewer who it is that third person is that they are talking about. Now, Japanese culture is a lot of ways different than uh, how we look at it. And I want to look at things from a broader perspective instead of just going over lots of little things like the sneezing. From a broad perspective, their, their culture is built on their classical foundations, which is very societal and family structure focused. And also built on ceremony. It was kind of like that in Europe, too, for a long time. But through revolutions and things, it's changed to a lot more individualism. And Japan has started to adopt that as well. But there's still a lot of thinking of the old ways. A lot of focuses on position, seniority, and even gender, even today. People are judged by who they're with and their family members as much as anything else. To the point where someone might lose their job because a family member got thrown in jail. They kind of see these things all tied together, where we think of more as each person as an individual. Uh, you'll see that they've adopted, as I said, um, our attitudes somewhat. And when you see that in shows, you often see that as a clash between the old and the new. And sometimes it's played out as old Japan versus new Japan. It's a very common theme in anime. To give an example of some of their thoughts of structure and um, uh, how everything has to fit into certain pegs, 
You just look at a lot of anime series take place in schools. And you'll see that they wear school uniforms. That's a real thing in Japan. And it's not just some weird Japanese quirk or fetish or something like that. It's that they're all supposed to be the same. And it's been that way for a long time. And it's not a coincidence that their uniforms are based on military uniforms either. And in fact, it's to the point that in Japan, it's better to look away and pretend something doesn't exist if it's out of place and just close your eyes to it than to admit it's there. So you see these characters in anime that are really outlandish. And I can only imagine from their perspective how much more outlandish they are than even we see them. Another interesting way of seeing this that you see a lot of uh, anime series about bullying in schools, which is interesting in that from the people who run the school's perspective, like the directors, the principals and stuff like that, it's better to turn away and pretend that stuff doesn't happen because it would look badly on them and upon the school to admit that they exist. Huh, so it's just like over here. More so, I think, because as a society would find out about that, it, it would really look badly up, upon them. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it more over here the complete opposite? Like 100% lockdown of everything and kind of go overboard? Oh, you okay. shook a pencil at another kid. Uh, but there is that. <laughs> but. Right, I mean, we... we we swing to that extreme where they like to just pretend nothing's wrong for their own sakes and for the sake of their school and stuff like that. They're also classically ritualistic in the way they approach life. Now, if you look back at Japanese history, look at um, proper society, pretty much everything they did was dictated by etiquette. Even things like how to close a door is dictated in a certain way by etiquette. It's not nearly that stretched these days. You see that little bits when people do kind of a classic Japanese stuff. But there's still plenty of ritual in everyday Japanese life. Uh, there's a certain little phrase that they say before every meal. You'll see this in anime all the time. Sometimes they translate it as a little prayer or something like that. But it's really just a phrase that they just always say before a meal. It's just something they always do. Or they'll have little shrines to uh, a loved one in their house that they pray to every day. Now, Japanese people aren't all that religious, per se. But the ritual of doing the religion is very much a part of their lives. Uh, there's a saying I've heard. It goes something like, have a Shinto coming-of-age ceremony, a Christian wedding, and a Buddhist funeral. It doesn't really matter which religion you're tied with at any one point, as long as you're doing the ritual. Another example of rituals in everyday life that you see very often in anime is how they celebrate New Year's with a Shinto shrine visit, either the night of New Year's or New Year's Day. You go to the shrine, stand in a very long line to say your little prayer, buy your fortunes, etc. That's just something they all do. It's not necessarily a, a religious necessity. It's a ritual societal necessity, which segues into the last topic I'd like to talk about today, which has to do how they do holidays. They, of course, have lots of their own holidays, like Tanabata. I'm not going to go over all those, but I would like to talk about the holidays that we're familiar with that they've adopted, which they do somewhat differently. One of those is Christmas. Ostensibly, it looks like Christmas is handled the same way there as it is here. They got the decorations in the homes and the storefronts. They got Christmas carols playing. They have the whole gift-giving thing as part of the holiday as well. While here, it's a very much a family holiday. It's all about getting together with family and giving gifts and all that stuff. There are some people that get together with the family thing for Christmas. They eat the traditional Christmas cake and KFC for some reason. But really, Christmas in Japan is a couple's holiday. It's more like Valentine's Day here. The real focus is on getting together with your significant other and going out on a date with a fancy restaurant. So pretty much any rom-com or romantic drama, Christmas is a very major part of it. It's a big event. I could totally get on board with that being Christmas instead of everything else. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad, it, but 
given the focus that they put on Christmas in a rom-com, it can seem out of place if you don't know that perspective mm-hmm. that it's a couple's holiday. And speaking of Valentine's Day, they do that a little differently, too. Battle Royal. <laughs> that would be awesome. I could be okay with that, too. <laughs> Actually, some rom-coms would treat it like that, in a sense. Here, it's, of course, a couple's holiday, and it is there, too. But here, at least classically, there was a kind of the concept of it's the boy taking the girl out and the boy telling the girl how he feels and stuff like that. It's really kind of the opposite there. And it's really driven by the candy companies that kind of made it what it is. The holiday is all about girls giving chocolates to the boys they like, ostensibly to say their affections by doing so. Now, they have obligation chocolates that they some girls give to family members and peers and such. But especially in romantic comedies and dramas, it's a big event where the girls are giving the chocolates to the boys to proclaim their love. And that's all I'm going to talk about this time. Join me for part two next time. But wait, I want to know more. <laughs> two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> sure, come back in two weeks. <laughs> Mike's been uh, yelling at you. Oh, what does no. he have to say? <laughs> he he Let's see. Uh, he doesn't understand the Christmas and chicken thing either. <laughs> he always thought it was duck or goose. Why is it chicken all of a sudden? I never understood, but KFC... Christmas is the big time of year in Japan. It's huge. (laughs) Now it's time for a game review. Sponsored by Matt Warden, one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Matt. Luckily, we're not looking at a Matt Warden game right now. (laughs) Instead, we're going to talk about Dead Men Tell No Tales. uh, Published by Minion Games and created by Kane Klinko. And this is a pirate-themed co-op game uh, where you're all a band of pirates and you're going on the Skelet's Revenge, which is uh, the ship that is on fire and you're trying to loot all of the treasure that you can before the crew and the deckhands and the ship explode. So you'll have crew... Explode? Okay, it's kind of awesome, but why? <laughs> well, it's it's on fire. There are like keg barrels all over the place, so various parts of the... The game starts, you're the pirates, and you have done enough damage to the ship to board it. Yeah. Awesome. So it's on fire. It is on fire because of you. your cannon volleys or whatnot. <laughs> because yes. of you. It is your own bad planning. You are now boarding the ship you lit on fire. <laughs> we want to put any of that out? No, no. Just go no, for the just, treasure. Just go. It's your ship. You deal with that. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. We're on the ship now. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Who's the project manager? <laughs> Was this agile? No. This was clearly poorly thought out, and everybody did everything at once. It's the problem with waterfall. <laughs> so, yeah, you're boarding the ship, and depending on the you know difficulty level that you pick, you have to get a certain amount of treasures off of the ship, and everybody has to escape off of the ship before uh, you either die or uh, you can potentially make it so the sh- uh, you have to... Watch how you're putting the pieces out to build the ship because it is a modular board for the ship. And you can potentially make it so that it's illegal to play a piece. And if it becomes illegal to play a piece, that means you can't explore the whole ship. So you lose because of that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, as most most good co-op games, there are many, many ways to lose. <laughs> but only one way yes. to win. So, um, and we're back to Battle Royale. Yeah. So explosion, there's an explosion track. If it gets all the way to the top of that, you've lost. Uh, if you're overwhelmed, 
So if you have to put deck hands on the ship and you can not pull any, uh, <laughs> that was you. <laughs> <laughs> you lose that way. Trapped. That's when, if the tile can't be placed legally, now you're trapped. You can't explore the rest of the ship to get the treasures that you need to. Lost treasure, which is interesting. It's if, uh, there are, the treasures have been destroyed and they're not enough for you to bring back. Uh, so if rooms can explode, if they explode, they become, you can't go through them anymore and anything in it just gets removed from the game. So if a treasure was in there when it explodes, now you've got one less treasure, depending on how many you need, uh, you may not have enough to be successful. Untimely death. So, uh, there's actually, well, untimely death, they call untimely death and no more pirates. So, but basically untimely death is if you get all of the treasures you need to off of the ship, but all of the pirates aren't off of the ship yet. So for instance, for a two player game on easy, it's four, right? Mm -hmm. So if all four treasures are off the ship and you're still, there's still a pirate on the ship. You keep using all of your turns like normal. So, you know, bad things are still going to happen. Fires are still going to kind of increase fire levels and all that stuff. And if a pirate dies in that instance with all the treasures off the ship, then you lose. If you haven't got all the treasures off the ship yet, if you die, you get to pull another pirate. But if you end up having to grab a new pirate and there's no more pirates left, you guys have gone through the entire deck of pirates. Well, you lost. <laughs> so, and of course the win is getting the treasures that you need and getting them off the ship. Uh, and there's uh, three levels, scurvy dog, buccaneer, and admiral. So easy, medium, hard, if you want to look at it that way. And the number of treasures needed increases depending on number of players and the difficulty level that you're going to use. And there are some, there's a common turn in this one. So the things you're going to do in this game are search the ship, take pirate actions, and skeleton's revenge. Search the ship is pretty much just putting the tile on the ship. So you're going to flip over a tile, decide where it goes. And again, that's completely up to you. It can go anywhere that's open. There's a certain, you, like you can't build below a certain level or anything like that. But uh, some of them have dead ends. Some of them, and you can't run, you can't run a door into a dead end, that kind of thing. Uh, so you place it where you want to, and then you put a tile on it out of a bag and that tile is either going to be like a skeleton crew or a guard, a skeleton crew that has some equipment that you might want, a guard that is guarding the treasure that you need to get off the ship, or a trap door. And if a trap door, then like, hey, there's a trap door and a deckhand pops out <laughs> and kind of comes on. Uh, so that's what that is. Pirate actions, there's a bunch of different things you can do. So it, that's basically spending your main actions for things you can do, like putting out the fire, trying to grab the treasure, walking, running, stuff like resting, stuff like that. Uh, and skeleton revenge is just you flip a card and it's going to either have a die. There there are yellow dice and red dice for fire in this game. Uh, it's either going to have a color die or it's going to show both colors and a number or a blank. Uh, if it's a die with a number, then that number, every, every one of that number on the ship gets flipped to the next number. So if it says like a red four, all the red fours now become five. The fire level goes up. If it's a blank turn die. Into Luke Skywalker. Yes. If the five, anyway, if it's a blank die, then, uh, so if it's a red blank die, then if there are spots on the board that are four red dice and they don't have any on them right now, you put a die on it at a one pip. So it starts at the lowest level of fire. Uh, if a fire die reaches six, that's the explosion we were talking about before. And then that's when the thing gets flipped over. So that's kind of the gist of playing the game. You know, you spend your actions 
and you try to get these treasures off of the ship and all of the pirates off of the ship before all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Pretty much. There are a couple of cool things uh, about this game. We'll talk about those maybe a little bit in the mechanics, but first let's start with the components. So should I go through what comes with it first or should we just go into what we think of them? What are you, do- what are you doing? What are you doing? Done. What do you think of the components? <laughs> Checking. <laughs> That's your fatigue. So I, components. I, I, I like uh, the look of the spinners. They're very nice. Yep. You get a, a starting tile. Uh, which is always on, that's the, where you're boarding the ship. And then there are room tiles, uh, and these are all decent cardboard stock. You get seven pirate figures. So pirate kind of meeples. They're wooden figures, silhouettes. No, they're bunnies. They're, no, they're raptors or they're t- <laughs> T-Rexes. You get a bunch of deckhand tokens, which are like skulls with eye patches, which are actually pretty cool. They did a nice paint job on those. Uh, and then you get player boards. Which has your fatigue track and your battle track. And again, that's good sturdy cardboard with a dial. You get 24 fire dice. So you get 12 red and 12 yellow. Uh, you get a battle die and you get a bunch of double sided tokens that go in the bag. Those are the things that come out that are like your skeleton crew or your guards and stuff like that. You get a bunch of action tokens, which, uh, show like which actions you've used and which you get to pass on, which is one of the things we'll talk about in mechanics. Uh, and then you get character tokens to kind of just show, uh, well, actually the character tokens are for your battle track to show how much battle you have. Your pirate figurine, your little meeple is what'll go around the ship. Uh, and then you get a bunch of cards. You get, uh, the Skell's Revenge deck and then you, their character cards because every character has a special ability. You get item cards. Every character is going to start with at least one item. Uh, you get the dinghy card. Uh, which can potentially be a second way for you to leave the ship as the game goes on. And then you get some player aids. Uh, you get a, another token that's kind of an optional. You get the explosion marker, and then you get the cloth bag. Lots of stuff in this box. So overall, what did you think of the components? I think it's pretty solid. There's a lot of stuff in the box, and it's all good quality. The cardboard is nice and thick. The cards, uh, the art is pretty good. I liked all the pictures that I saw on the characters and on the equipment on the ship cards. It's, uh, it looks very nice, uh, but it's uh, very simple because it's just giving you either a die and, uh, the action that's going to take place. But even that, it's very nice to look at. Componentry for this game, solid. Yeah. I love the components on this game and they did a really good job. Some of it is almost overkill, but it's nice. I mean, it's very, thematic it does a good job the deckhands didn't need to be wood they could have just been <laughs> more pogs yeah. yeah so having the deckhands i think was a really nice touch one thing i noticed when looking at the the art of the ship the, mm-hmm. the tiles is kind of like a faded look mm-hmm. which seemed a little off at first but i really like it and that it made the special icons on it really stand out better mm-hmm. and there's yeah. a lot of games that like the icons kind of fade away into the background and it gets hard to see but it's, it's very clear in this game while still having that nice looking background. I like it. Yeah, they did a great job with this game. And just real quick, uh, this was a game that was on Kickstarter. We're not looking at it because it's on Kickstarter. It's actually, uh, if it isn't already, it will be very soon in retail. Uh, the Kickstarter has fulfilled and those have gone out. So this is the full retail version. We are not looking at a prototype or review copy. This is the retail version that we are looking at. All right, so mechanics. There are some really cool things, I think, going on in this game mechanically that do set it a little bit apart from uh, some of the other com- uh, co-ops that we've played. 
One of the things I liked was the passing of actions. That I was thought, really cool. Yeah, I thought that was cool. So what that means is a typical pirate is going to have five actions. There's one pirate whose special ability is to have six actions on their turn. You can either use all of your actions yourself, or you can use as many as you want and pass the, your remaining actions on to the next player. Now, the next player basically kind of has to use your actions first because they can't pass on your actions, but they can pass on their own actions. So once they spend your actions, they just kind of give them back to you and you'll, ha- you'll get them all back for the beginning of your next turn. But if I don't know how many, how many times have you been in a co-op where you've been in a situation where like, I just, I'm going to waste more. some actions yep. here or, you know? or one more. Yeah. yeah. Or I need one more or I'm going to, you know what? I, I can't do anything here. I'm not, I'm going to waste these next couple actions or something like that. So that was kind of nice in this. You get to actually pass on actions. Uh, there is no min max of passing on. It, it almost seems like you could really pass your whole turn if you wanted to. The thing is the other player has to basically use your actions first. So if we were talking about four or five people, you know, I can't pass all my actions to Jordan. Jordan can't turn around, and pass both of our actions to the next person and, and kind of pile it up on one person. Uh, in fact, he couldn't even pass one of my action tokens. Mine have to be spent before his, uh, but he could pass some of his remaining stuff if he wanted to. And there were a few times that was really good for us. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, there were a couple of times I took an action from you and I was like, okay, well now I can do this. I'll spend your action to do this so I can do these other things now. Yeah. Cause I was the character that got the bonus action. So I had yep. six. So quite a three, four times I gave you at least one extra action. Yeah. A couple of times, like three. Yeah. And there is a kind of a cool thing. We'll talk about the fatigue a bit here in a minute too, I think is part of the mechanics. But if you go off of the ship, it's kind of called taking a breather. You basically go back to your, your rowboat, your dinghy or whatever and chill, let everybody else hang out in the, the fire. But when you do that, you immediately end your turn, but you get like half your fatigue back or your, your fatigue reduces by half rounded up. You immediately stop and pass all of your remaining actions over. So. You're going to do this one to recover fatigue, which you want to do, but you also, almost more importantly, that's how you are getting treasures off the ship. You take that breather action with a treasure with you. So it's kind of a double bonus in that aspect in that you're getting a treasure off the ship. So you're one step closer to meeting your, your goal, but you're also gaining back a bunch of fatigue. So fatigue, should we talk about fatigue for a second? Let's talk about fatigue. Okay. Well, your fatigue tracker uh, goes from basically zero up to 16. If it hits 16, you're dead. <laughs> You've worked yourself to death. But at varying intervals, so 5, 9, 12, and 14, there's a die symbol next to that style of fatigue. The cool thing is, so if I'm up at 5 fatigue, now I can't go into a room that has a 5 fire uh, so if the, if the fire level is up to five, I can't enter that room now. I have to either reduce, which is one of your actions is to be able to reduce fatigue by two. So you can just do that anywhere in the ship as long as you're not having, you're not in the middle of a battle or something like that. You can reduce your fatigue by two for spending an action. So it's kind of cool because there were times we were calculating that out. You know, if I go here and here and here and I'm gaining fatigue, Am I going to be able to enter that last room I really want to get to, or am I going to have to stop and rest? Because one of the ways you gain fatigue is if you go from, let's say I'm in a room with a fire level of one, and I go to a room, I walk to a room of fire level of three, 
I take two fatigue. Anytime I enter a room that has a higher fire level than I'm leaving, I take fatigue. Now, if I'm running, I automatically take two fatigue and I take, and, and, and you get to go two spots. So you get to go two rooms instead of one for one action, but you take two fatigue for sure and every fatigue for every room that you would have potentially taken. Uh, so you get to go two spots for, you know, one action, but you might really pile up the fatigue doing that, depending on how high the, the fire levels are on each. Another thing to remember, which is kind of a pain in the butt, is when you're actually looting, which is you're transporting a treasure back to the ship, you take fatigue for every fire level you pass through. So if you go from a, a five to a four, usually you wouldn't take fatigue because it's lower. But because you're carrying that treasure, you take four. Next room, you take whatever that is, and so on and so forth. And you can't run when you're doing a treasure either. So uh, fatigue is going to kind of pile up on you for a while. There are also battles. If you lose battles with the guards or the crew, you take the difference in fatigue. So fatigue is kind of important to, to manage while you're going through. And I thought that was kind of cool. So I like, I did like the aspect of depending on where you were on the track, you were too fatigued to potentially go in a room, which happened to us multiple times, uh, and really made us kind of plan out and think and, and okay, I really need some actions to rest and I need to do this and that. I thought that was a pretty solid ad for this game. Mm-hmm. What else were you, do you think? Is there anything you want to point out mechanically? I think you covered it because I think the, Everything focuses around your spinner dial, the fatigue. You've got to balance that. It, a couple of times we both got up to the teens and through <laughs> not really quite paying attention to what we were doing and running and walking through. So that I think is the, uh, the core mechanic that, uh, that r- runs the game. You know, it's not the moving. It's not getting the treasure. It's balancing your, your fatigue. Yep. Okay. So overall, overarching mechanically, what did you think of this game? Solid. Everything works well together. There's nothing that's, um, the only question we had, I had that we didn't have an immediate response to. And I don't know if you researched it. Well, it wasn't a game breaker, but on the starting tile, we were not sure if you had to get mm. to the very center of the starting tile to get off the ship or if you could leave the ship at any of the three edges uh, or the three squares that make up the edge of the starting tile. That's the only thing we didn't find an answer for. But mechanically, everything else is sound. What is described in the rule book plays out. On the table and the reference cards are self-explanatory for each thing that you can do. Uh, mechanically, it's all sound. There's no gotchas here. Yeah. I, I did not get to research that yet. I, we, I think we played from center because it made kind of sense for where the boats were pointing, but mm-hmm. you're right. There was that line. The other thing we had to research what the hell the fire question mark meant. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which was not in the rule book. And we had to go to BGG for that, which is the explosion marker that they were talking about. They just never showed it. <laughs> yeah, in the rules, it does say explosion that there icon. are three explosion icons. And at that point, once you get to the third, you reshuffle the the event deck. But the card came up with a question mark, not an explosion. And so we really, what? No, this, this does not exist. And then one other question we still potentially have is if you remove a fire from a from a place that explode the keg because a fire keg can only explode once, but you can remove the fire so that it's not there anymore. Cause what you do is if the fire keg explodes, you move the dice over it to symbolize it's exploded. So it can't explode again. But if you completely remove the fire, 
and then a card comes up to put it back in there, are you supposed to remember that that fire keg exploded? Because there's no there's no tokens or anything to cover it. It's the die. So if it goes away, and let's say you know you're deep in the game and there's dice everywhere, are you going to remember that that one exploded? Um, if they're, if you're removing multiple dice, uh, so. I'm fine with it. We didn't even remember they exploded when they did. (laughs) Yeah. We we (laughs) retroactively exploded them at one point, but, and I'm fine with if a new die die comes on, it it explodes again, potentially. Um, it's just, it's not spelled out that we could find, but again, I mean, it's, it's kind of a minor thing and that's something you can make a call on like we kind of did and continue playing the game mechanically across the board though. This is a very solid game. We had a lot of fun with it. This was a really good uh, co-op that I think did a really nice job of that balance that you have to have in a co-op where you, you're not just going to walk over the game, especially the first time you play. Um, and it, you, you're probably going to lose or you're going to, yeah, you're going to miss something to make you lose. Like for us, we, we went through the entire last game, we, the game we played last night. We went through almost the entire game going, whoops. Well, we got this. This is so easy, you know? And we're going, and all of a sudden it was like, Jordan looks at me and goes, what happens if we run out of deck hands? Because <laughs> we were focusing in on keeping fires low and the treasures just, I mean, we had all four treasures out. Uh, we were just cruising. All of a sudden it's like, well, what happens if we can't put out any more deck hands? Oh, oh yeah, we lose. <laughs> like, oh, look, it's an expansion for deck hands, which means they kind of spread out all over the ship. And we, sure enough, I think we needed two more or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we lost. It's like, oh, oh, shit. That just kind of snuck up on us. We, we thought we thoroughly had this game in hand. No problem. Got it. You know, our, our, uh, what we were doing was working perfectly. We had, we were just like a fine tuned machine. I would like take somebody down because I had the cutlasses and Jordan would come in and grab the treasure and run it back to the, to dinghy. We were good to go. Oh, shit. So, and that was really nice. I mean, it was a nice, it was good to be surprised like that. Rules. Rules are, we kind of talked about that. I mean, the, the rule book itself is pretty solid. A uh, couple gotchas that we kind of came up with. Again, the fact that that question mark with the fire around it's not in the rule book. We had to go to BGG for that. Uh, so just be on the lookout for that if you, uh, get no, this. I'm not going to say it's the worst rule book I've ever read. No, read. No. <laughs> This was actually a pretty solid rule book yeah, overall. I mean, we, we got into, we got play of the game. Uh, there are several things we had to research. We found them fairly quickly. It's fairly well laid out. Uh, again, just some minor gotchas, a couple of things we already mentioned. Uh, the fire kegs, do they reactivate? And what's the question mark symbol in the middle of the fire? Once we found it on BGG, it made sense, but you know, we had to go to BGG because just looking at it, well, what does a question mark mean? <laughs> With all the other symbols we had been seeing, all the other symbols made sense to us because we had a we had a reference for them. <laughs> well, technically, we did have a reference. It just wasn't a logical tie because no. it's because it's on the die. It's on the guard that shows a five, and when the five goes up to a six, that's the explosion. So they said, you know, beware when you see the explosion symbol. And we were both kind of looking for the an explosion, not a question mark with a yeah. five, meaning that it has the potential to explode. <laughs> yeah. So good rule book though. Teachability. What do you think? I mean, we were up and running pretty quickly. I think it took longer to do the setup than it did for you to give me the gist of the game. Yeah. I think even to somebody 
a non-gamer or somebody that doesn't play co-ops, I think it would still be not that quick a, a teaching, uh, not that long, I should say, <laughs> a, a teaching uh, experience. Yeah, I think it's one of, this is kind of one of those games though, and it's nice that it's a co-op in that aspect, that there are a lot of different things going on and a lot of different things to keep track of that it may take that little bit of extra time, uh, I think, with more novice players, you know, cause you, you gotta, the, the kegs and we gotta, can we do something with the fire? Uh, what does it mean when multiple deckhands get in one location? Uh, you know, the crew's moving around. Uh, we need treasures, you know, all. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving pieces that once you get into it, it, it all starts making sense and clicking and you don't really think much about it. But I think with more casual players, it might take them a little bit longer to kind of grasp that part. All right. Theme. I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm more of an indie dude than a pirate dude, but the theme is Dead Man Tell No Tales. It is pirates. It is there in the name. It is there in the artwork. All your character cards have some form of piratey garb on them. It does go a little bit the, uh, what is it? The second Pirates of the Caribbean movie when you find <laughs> out the dude's undead because they've got the skeleton crew, which are actually kind of skeletons yep. that are the crew. But it's it's there. Everything they've got, um, you know, treasure chest. They got, but even the skeleton crew are in like pirate garb. You know, there, there's pirate everywhere, and it 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 it's it is yeah. It, the theme is pirate, and it is reflected in everything: the cards, the cardboard. The, I mean, the best part is the deckhands, the little, the, the skull meeples with the eye patches. I mean, it's, it's there and, and it's everywhere. I agree. I mean, I, I think you kind of, it would be kind of cool if they did do a pirate theme, like you said, I think you were talking about last ninja. night and then, yeah. or the ninja theme. And then we could like intermix the two, like pirates are boarding the ninja ship or the or ninjas are boarding the pirate ship. That'd be kind of cool. But. I like the pirate theme. Uh, I think they did a really good job with this. Like we said earlier, um, I, it just, it, it does a really nice job. It's a, it's a cool feeling of going around, you know, the ship's on fire. You have to worry about that. I'm still mad at Jordan because I dropped a perfectly good grog that he didn't pick up and drink. Uh, I could have kept it on my person. I was drinking plenty of grog the other night, which grog is well, awesome. Clearly I drank it because I came <laughs> up one short on the die roll. <laughs> so yeah, it's. It, it was it was pretty cool. Grog helps you reduce fatigue. Um, I was picking up cutlasses, which made me better in combat, so that was kind of cool. So I was running around, you know, grabbing skeleton crews and bashing them in the head and stuff like that. So I I had a lot of fun with this theme. I think they did a, a good job and it's integrated well, and it really feels like what it's trying to be. All right, so fun factor slash overall. I enjoyed it. Uh, overall, I would say this is an enjoyable game. As with all co-op games, there's a certain amount of mathiness to it, not in that, in your planning. And sometimes this was really obvious, like even before you would draw your exploration tile, you were plotting out, you you were plotting out how you were going to use your actions and, and your best way to spend your actions. And every now and then that seemed a little too, too in my face for me. But I mean, it's like that in Zombie Side or Pathfinder or any kind of co-op game with an action with an action point basis. You you do that, but every now and then it just was a little bit distracting for me. It just took me out of the moment a little bit too much when it seemed like 
the actual game itself was the math of the moves rather than the enjoyment of the moves in the action. You know what I mean? But that said, it, it's still enjoyable. It, it, it's not difficult. It's it's very thematic. You stay in the theme for the most part, and it's it's a challenge. Um, like we said, it's uh, it, it it ramped up just like right away. It went from we didn't even have to say auto win. It was just <laughs> you know there was no we got this, but I know we were both thinking it because it was going smoothly. And but then it was just like no, you don't and. You know, it took me a second to realize that's where we were. And then I looked at it and I was like, yeah, we're not going to win this. And I know where it happened when I, when I lost that combat. Uh, <laughs> and, but that's the good thing about it. You know, sometimes you look at a game and you go, not quite sure when you lost that. And that's a good feeling. Sometimes you look at it and you go, that was the moment. And that's, I also like that when I can tie it down to one exact moment. So this, this is a bit of a balance in, in both. If we'd gone all the way through, I don't think there would have been a defining moment that said, no, this is too easy because it was a nice ramp up. Mm-hmm. So overall, it's a very enjoyable game. I think it's an excellent difficulty level. Uh, whether we're at two or five, I would definitely like to see this go, uh, to max players. Cause I think, uh, seeing the ship just kind of bloom, uh, much more quickly as you go through a round of everybody, I think that would uh, definitely have a, be a much different feel to it. So overall, yeah, it's, it's uh, an enjoyable game. Yeah. I think one of the things I want to point out too, I know we talked about when you flip the tile and put it on the ship, this, I mean, it's called explore. I believe it's called or search. They call it search. We, I kept calling it explore. Same thing. You're basically, you're flipping the tile, but one of the differences, and I know this took you a while to get used to is because it's every other game I play. It's an action to do that. Yes. Or you're got to be adjacent to the tile yes. where you're going to put the tile. Um, I'm glad they didn't do that though in this game because we could have you you could dead end yourself very easily that way if you have to place the yeah. tile. So I did like the that aspect of it sometimes too, where we actually had some conversation about how we were going to build out this ship mm-hmm. so that we didn't screw ourselves into getting that dead end that we talked about where it's auto lose. So it's nice that you don't just flip the tile and it has to go in front of you and you're like, oh, well, crap, there's no good way to put this. I, uh, there's where the game ended right there on a random random yep. flip. I mean, you're still getting the random flip, but you have choices on where to put it. So that was kind of cool. Fun factor overall for me, I had a lot of fun with this one. I get where you're coming from about because we were mathing out some things every once in a while. But I think, I mean, you're going to pretty much get that in any kind of co-op, mm-hmm. it seems like. So I don't mind that as much. That's actually kind of maybe some of the fun of it at times where you're having those conversations and trying to figure it out. And then when it doesn't work, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, uh, we thought we had it, you know, kind of thing. So I, I like that part. I, and like I said, I like the aspect of there was that extra conversation that we were having about, is this an action point that I should use or is it one I should pass? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of cool too. I, I like that extra conversation that was added in there because of that. So, uh, fun factor slash overall for me is this is a very solid co-op game that I really enjoyed. And I don't know exactly where, since I don't usually do a lot of, a lot of favorites or tops, but this is pretty up there for me. I, I've really enjoyed this as a co-op game. Uh, and I think it's pretty high up on my list right now. I want to play it a few more times, but I definitely think it's worth checking out. You have anything you want to add, Don? <laughs> I haven't played it, so sorry, no. No, just, all right. So is it something that you might be interested in? Yeah, I'd like to give it a try. Sweet. So we will have to play with Don. Here you go. 
We got it. We got we got a three player going. All right. All right. See you guys later. <laughs> Megan. Uh, so there you go. That was our review of Dead Men Tell No Tales from Minion Games and uh, designed by Kane Klenko. Side note. I actually talked to Kane for the Game Crafter podcast when we were at Protospiel. So he is on the uh, interviews that we did from Protospiel for the Game Crafter podcast. So you can definitely go check those out. Pirate walks into a bar, walks up to the bar, orders a drink. Doesn't matter what the drink is. Bartender gets him his drink and looks at him. Notices he's got a steering wheel sticking out of his pants. Slides the drink across the counter and says to the pirate, you know, you have a steering wheel sticking out of your pants. And the pirate looks down and says, Har, it's driving me nuts. I'm trying and not to laugh. I know. <laughs> it's, it, it's like two parts funny to three parts painful. <laughs> you get a laugh. <laughs> it's time for the Brick Breakdown, where we're breaking down what's building up in the Lego universe. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Brick Breakdown. I'm your host, Will, and with me, as always, is the lovely Sarah. Hello. And today, we're going to actually be talking about selling Lego. Yes. Um, Often, people get to a point where they have a large collection, or they've inherited a collection, or maybe you get to a point where you don't want it, or your kids don't want it. Either way, you've got Lego, and you want to get rid of it, but you know it's kind of worth something. So what do you do? Yeah, the, the other interesting point there is if you're selling Lego and you're still big in the hobby, there's a lot of fans out there that will actually support their hobby through That's selling true. That's of Lego true. because they actually know what's valuable. They know it can turn a profit, and that profit turns into just buying more Lego. But let's start. There's a couple of points we're going to go over, and the first one is – if you know of a local club, uh, you can contact them and see if anybody there is interested. Whether you're buying or selling, finding a club in your area is going to be the best way to get, uh, I, I guess, what you would call the basic information. Yes, you can get started there. Most of the people will be uh, aware or informed of um ways you can go to sell or buy and oftentimes you can connect with the club members themselves who may either be buying and or selling lego yeah it's going to be ideal for you to get these people to get uh, their eyes on your collection because they'll know fairly quickly what you have Mm -hmm. and Uh, and the nice thing is most of them will be pretty honest with you about it, which is very nice because they're down to earth. You're meeting them face to face. They realize you've got something and generally speaking, they're going to help you get a good deal. Um, and of course, you know, they're going to want to get a good deal too. So it, it's, you know, pretty fair. Yeah. So kind of bringing back what Sarah said is this is not going to be a guaranteed sell. No. There's a, a, a lot of, it, it's kind of like a cold call. Yes. You show up at someone's door, you know they like it because they have all the the trappings of it on their lawn, um, <laughs> and you figure, hey, you have a lot of grass, wouldn't you like a lawnmower uh, type of thing? Yeah. But at the, at the same time, the person who has the tall grass, well, the reason why they have the tall grass is because they don't like cutting it. Right. So the thing with Lego is there's a lot of different themes, and... Different clubs are into different things. I mean, there's some clubs that are just trains. Mm -hmm. You also got people in there that are going to be liking different things. Some people are just into space or just into Star Wars or just into Castle or 
just collecting minifigures. There's a lot of variety. So you may not be able to necessarily make a sale, but you will gain a lot of information this way. Yeah, the size of the club is going to be a big factor as to your actual luck Mm -hmm. in terms. And basically the way you find bigger clubs is you go to cities that have more people. Yep. So New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, huge, huge clubs. Yep. All right. Well, another way you can go about things is eBay. Yes. Uh, You pretty much can sell anything on eBay. Uh, For better or for worse. Not that you should. (laughs) Uh, The problem here is uh, buyers are looking for two things. They're either looking for bulk lots or they're looking for sets. Right. And if you don't know much about Lego... Uh, you're going to be at a disadvantage. That's true. The nice thing about the bulk lots is you can generally get a decent deal. I wouldn't Eight to say, ten dollars a pound. Right. It's not great, but the thing you've got to be wary of, either through buying or selling. Well, more through buying on eBay for bulk lots. Lots. You're not seeing the Lego firsthand, so you don't know the condition. I mean, obviously, you have to be able to trust any eBay seller for the condition that they listed in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still you're not sure. And bulk lots on that, they're not. They're going to show pictures of bulk Lego, but not necessarily the lot that you're going to get. So if you're eyeballing the pictures and you're like, "Ooh, I like those red pieces," you may not get any red pieces. Right. So uh, if you're going to be a seller, take the pictures of what you're actually selling. It will greatly help. You know, the buyers, they'll be more likely to trust you and come back to your store. Yeah. And note that what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, weigh. Weight is the mm-hmm. key component in terms of bulk selling. Yeah. Uh, because uh, essentially, that's what they typically use the poundage method uh, when they're actually looking for bulk. So if you can actually list a specific pound then uh, they're also going to further trust you. Right. And the other thing for eBay is going for a complete set. Uh, Whether it's new or whether it's old, people are looking for complete sets. They're looking for the instructions. The box is usually not as big of a deal because of shipping. Yeah, the box is old. I would say it's really important if you're doing a new. That's when it's box sealed. Yeah, if it's sealed, obviously it needs the box, but then that it's sealed, so it's not opened. But if it's an open set at all opened, generally people want cheaper shipping. They want it because they're going to put it together. They don't want it for the box. Right. Uh, Essentially, you're just kind of throwing in some extra material that's not very important. Mm -hmm. Although there is some strange people out there that want that box. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, there's there's still sellers out there that only sell the box. So with eBay, you're going to be able to sell more quickly, but not necessarily get the best price. And as buyers, you're not necessarily going to pay the best price. Things are, generally speaking, a little bit more expensive on eBay, which is good for sellers, bad for buyers, but it is a fast way to go. Yeah, you got a lot of buyer beware. Yes. All right, next up, we've got selling to a store. Yeah, um, so this is a guaranteed sell. Mm-hmm. You can, uh, if you find one, and the easiest way to find one is typically go to Craigslist, 
type in Lego, and there's going to be some sort of entry saying, we'll buy Lego. Right. And what we're talking about here are the secondary Lego sellers that have established a brick-and-mortar store. They're not Or as even common, an online store. Or even an yeah. online store. Um, they're not as common, but they do a lot of business. But like selling to pawn shops, you are not going to get the best price here because they need to be able to resell it. Yes. So if you try to sell to a store, they will probably buy it. They will probably not turn you away, but if only if you take their price for it. Yeah, and you're looking at maybe a dollar, two dollars a pound. Yeah. If you're lucky. If you have rare sets, you might be able to get a little bit more. But generally speaking, if you're going to sell a bulk lot to a store, yeah, they're, they're going to pay you by pound and it's only going to be a couple of dollars. But Yeah, make sure you don't want your Lego. Yeah, but you'll get a sale. I mean, you'll be able to sell it. And the other hand is, if you're a buyer and you're looking for this rare stuff, it is a way to go. It's nice if they have a brick and mortar store because then you can browse. They often have bins that you can look through. Mm-hmm. So they can be a nice source. And often they're very educated about lego so they usually have a lot of information too yeah if you buy from these stores online you're going to be paying through the nose yes because they know what they have Mm -hmm. if you're going into the store to browse at some of their random stuff you can get some of the best deals yes uh in person just by doing that because they'll have a lot of pieces they don't have anything to do with right because they're no longer associated with a set they're not particularly rare, mm-hmm. uh, but they have so much of it that they just need to get rid of it. Right. And so oftentimes if you go in person, get to know them, they might give you deals if you buy so much stuff and you're like, oh, hey, I need a couple extra pieces. They might throw those extra pieces in for free. So you can develop a relationship with these stores. It's just they're rare and hard to find. Yeah. We have a friend who's a brick artist and he has pr- pretty much a a normal seat that's set out for him and a spot <laughs> in their store for this guy yeah. because he's so regular. Uh, I think he has like 12 displays mm-hmm. at uh, this particular store and he's just their best customer. Yep. All right. Another way to go is to sell on a site called Brick Link. This is is for those people who know what they're doing. Yes. Uh, because there's a lot of very tedious things you have to do. If you have a window frame that's white, you need to know what type it's mm-hmm. from. Because there's a lot of window frames that have the same dimensions, but it may be a completely different type just because of a slight bit of plastic here and there. It might have a hole for a shutter. It might not have a hole for a shutter. And then I found out because I was... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's me griping. So BrickLink is great for buyers and sellers. As a buyer, you can go and find anything that you want. Uh, and they are there are worldwide sellers. So BrickLink is like kind of the eBay for Lego. Yes. All these different sellers have created these online storefronts. You can buy from your state if you want to, from your country. You can buy from other countries. It, it There's a, a lot of, that goes into it. It can be a little overwhelming um, the first time you do it, especially if you're trying to get into selling. But if you want to get the most money from your collection or you're a buyer looking for that specific white window that has pinholes for frames, then uh, you can find it. 
Um, the great thing also is they have a forum, so there's always uh, people there you can talk to. Yeah, because it, it feels like a fairly antiquated system. Yeah, it is. At times. It is uh, an old site. It has very antiquated. It's a huge database. So also, if you're just looking for information about sets, what pieces are in there, or because sometimes there's different editions of the same set, you can find out what pieces they changed between the different editions of that set. So there's a lot of information on BrickLink. Again, if you're trying to sell your collection and you have time or you want to sell Lego to support your hobby, BrickLink is definitely the way to go. Yeah, just to give you one example, as we were saying with uh, eBay, it's like 8 to $10 a pound. Well, I'm actually looking to actually start selling on BrickLink, and I got in a whole bunch of pieces that normally sell per piece $10 to $12 per piece. Just because the piece is so rare, it's out of print, it's not used in many sets. So people who are trying to recreate an old set, which is how we found out about it, because we were trying to recreate an old set, mm-hmm. we found out we had to have this particular window because it needed the holes for the, the, the shutters. Yeah. Um, and it's pricey because they really weren't used for very long, and it's an old piece. So if you can find brand new pieces, which is what what we found, um, you can sell them pretty pricey for each one. Right. So even undercutting the average price of $12, if we sold one for $10, that makes back, well, a lot of money. Yes. All right. Then there's other ways that you can go about selling, such as yard sale. You can list it on Craigslist directly. You can always ask your family and friends, hey, do you, you have kids growing up? Are they going to want Lego? Give me 50 bucks for this box of Lego. You know, I mean, there are other ways to go about it. It all depends upon how fast you need to move it um, and what you're interested in trying to get back. Because Lego costs a lot in the first place. So a lot of times you want to get back as much as you can. Yeah, you'd also be surprised how many buyers out there go around and they scavenge uh, for Lego. From, yeah, lot from yard, yard sales. sales and Craigslists and stuff like that. So it's it's almost a guaranteed seller, but it's also a guaranteed low price mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And, but there's also a lot of things moving on to our final topic is there's a lot of things you can do to improve the price you can get from your collection. Number one thing, make sure you just have Lego. And when I mean Lego, it actually is a Lego piece with a little Lego stamp on each stud because Lego fans do not want Mega Block. Or Best Lock. Or or any of those imitation ones. Creo. Whatever it's called. I unfortunately went through where I was buying a collection through a third party, supposed to be 40 pounds of Lego. I would say maybe... 10 to 12 yeah. pounds were Lego. Yeah, most of it was Mega Block, and that was just so disappointing to spend so much and get an off-brand because there is a quality difference, a huge quality difference. So make sure if you want to get the most out of your Legos, make sure you take out any off-brand. And if you can't tell if it's Lego or not, probably be a safe bet if you know that you've ever gotten off-brands. If you know you've only ever bought Lego, then you're safe. Yeah, because uh, a buyer will come along, they'll see it, and they'll automatically devalue your collection. Right, if they even see one piece that says Mega Block or yeah. anything else. Other things you could do is you clean. Clean your Lego. Clean them. Uh, you'd be surprised how many, st- how much stuff out there is bulk, and it's dirty as I don't mm-hmm. know what. And it has all sort of discolorations and, yeah. and funky things like that. 
also, if you have the instruction manuals, um, maybe your kids never played with the instruction manuals, but if you kept them, it will definitely increase the value because if you just have a big box of pieces, but you have a stack of instructions, then people know that there should be at least some of the pieces in that box that will recreate that set, and that will raise the value of your collection. Similar thing, the minifigures. Yes. Minifigures are also a really good way to indicate what potential is in your collection. Yes, so always pull out the minifigures, keep them separate, keep them on top. So keep your instruction manuals on top, keep your minifigures on top. Any other rare pieces, animals are a good thing also to keep out because those aren't as common, especially if you have an elephant. Those are like 50 bucks each. So anywho... (laughs) That's about it. Yeah, that's that's what we got. Hopefully, uh, you as a buyer or a seller will find some of this information helpful uh, to get a good deal because that's ultimately what we want. Yep, we want to be able to help uh, educate you. And another good site to check out is... Uh, brickpicker.com. That's going to be a investment slash price guide mm-hmm. that you can look for. So say, for example, you're trying to get into selling sets and you don't know what sets are really going to generate a good revenue. This is a good indication as to what you can expect. Uh, we'll, we'll get you profit. Yep. All right, then. <laughs> All right, then. So uh, that's it for us. Uh, as always, you can find me on um, the Brick Blogger uh, writing blogs uh, for that site. Find Sarah on Twitter at EurogamerGirl. Um, that's pretty much where you'll find me. Also, I'm on Board Game Geek, but uh, she lives there. I live there. <laughs> but that's it from us. So hopefully, uh, you get your Lego deal. And until next time. I'm Sarah. I'm Will. And hit the bricks. Let's go to Anime Don's Recommendation. Sponsored by Ryan C., one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Ryan C. Crest. Stop it. <laughs> He'll pull his money. <laughs> Thank you for supporting us over on Patreon. All right. The show I'm going to talk about today is Puella Magi Madoka Magica, known simply as Madoka Magica usually. Now, i got to give a spoiler warning before I get into this. There's pretty much no way to talk about the show without giving some spoilers. I'm going to keep them limited <laughs> to the first few episodes. But just to warn you, this is a magical girl show. This is one of the biggest genres in anime right up there with giant robots. It's popular in Japan, but hasn't gotten a lot of play overseas, except for one in particular, Sailor Moon. If you've seen Sailor Moon, you more or less know the structure of these shows, even though that one's actually a combination of the Magical Girl and Sentai formulas, but it serves as a pretty good model in general for how Magical Girl shows work. A young girl, usually elementary or middle school, meets some talking critter, it could be a real creature, critter like a cat, like in Sailor Moon, or it could be an alien, but regardless, it's always adorable. Critter gives the girl a pendant, asking her to help fight against some great evil that's threatening the Earth or some other place. The pendant allows the girl to transform, using the power of stock footage, into a cute battle outfit. <laughs> Spin, lights, dress, naked, dress. Every episode... The girl then battles the monster of the week while learning a valuable life lesson. 
about stock footage. <laughs> Saves us money. <laughs> it totally does. Uh, that's a standard formula. Uh, very popular. There's lots of different magic girl shows out there. This one, Madoka Magica, was created in 2001. It's a little bit unique in that it's an original series. It's not based on a manga or light novel or game or anything like that. It has a lot of pedigree behind it. It was done by studio named Shaft and director Akiyuki Shinbu. That combination is one of my personal favorites working out there right now, and they're also very, very popular in general. How'd Sam Jackson get involved with it? Oh, it took me a second, but I got it. Yes. All right. I was thinking the original Shaft, not the whatever. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, this particular director uses a lot of surrealism in his work. When I talked a while back about what I like in anime, and one of the things I liked was that what you see isn't necessarily what's really in that world. The guy who does that the most is Shinbu. Now, Madoka Magica is a lot held back quite a bit as far as that is concerned, though you can kind of see that in a little bit in the uh, use of architecture. You can also see his particular style in a lot of ways in the show and use of light and dark, contrasting colors, quick edits, camera angles. He's got a very unique style along with the studio. The uh, Jordan, when he first talked about the show, when he was watching it. I have a title. I am the Jordan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. It's, I'm doing insert, that everywhere now. Insert name here. <laughs> He described it as beautiful. It was the first thing he said about it. And he said it was like watching three different shows visually. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them being uh, Shinbu's particular directing style. Another one being just the uh, nice, bright-colored Magical Girl look of the kind of classic Magical Girl style. But there's also another side to it, a darker, stylized side. You can definitely see that in Labyrinths, but it's throughout the whole show in general, the use of dark areas and things like that. Uh, the uh, composer for the background music is Yuki Kajira, who I spoke of a Fate Zero. My personal favorite composer, very popular as well. And once again, in the music, there's some lighter songs, kind of Magical Girl style, but then there's a lot of haunting melodies as well. It, it felt like kind of a, a weird mix of things. The writer of the series is Gen Urobochi, who also wrote Fate Zero. After he did these two shows, he became a billable name in the industry. This show was highly acclaimed both by fans and by critics and won numerous awards. It received a lot of follow-ups, manga series, novelizations, video games, films, etc. They recut the entire series into two films, which combined are almost as long as the series, so they didn't cut much. And then they made a third follow-up movie as well. The story starts with the young girl, Madoka, a middle school girl, and her friend, Sayaka, as they meet this talking little critter, adorable little alien critter named Kube. While that's all happening, they end up getting lost in a sort of parallel dimension, which is, in the show, it's called Witch's Labyrinth. Now, these places are like visual madness. They are uh, really wild and really uh, amazing to watch. But it's not just pure chaos, either. It's sort of a poetic madness. While they're lost in here, they are suddenly rescued by a magical girl who shows up and defeats the weird creature monster of the labyrinth, which is called a witch. Mommy then invites him back to her apartment where they meet and Kube, the little critter, invites the two girls to become magical girls to help mommy fight witches, which are, are these weird creatures that work their way into the darkness in people's hearts and cause things like depression and worse. 
if they become magical girls, they will have any wish they want granted. So, nice trade-off. But the two of them are fairly practical, and they don't jump on it right away. They decide to follow Mommy in a couple witch hunts, just to kind of get a feel for it before they make a decision. Torches and pitchforks. <laughs> None of them use pitchforks. <laughs> While they're in a witch hunt, uh, Monica finally decides that she's going to take the leap. She's going to become a magical girl as well. But she doesn't know what to wish, wish for. So Mommy tells her, great, after this fight, we'll get it worked out. We'll get the contract signed. But you have to decide on your wish by that by that point. And Mommy, all totally excited that she finally has partners, finally has people to work with, goes and just beats the living crap out of the witch. Until suddenly it rises up and bites her head off. No, I'm not kidding. I cannot tell you how shocked the fan community was at that moment. Now, it's not the first time a character has died in a Magical Girl show. But it's usually like at the end of the show, in a dramatic scene, and then they come back the next episode anyway. This was something shocking and brutal and completely out of the blue. And often, yeah, that's it. Often that kind of death is tele, you know, telegraphed. It's, it's set up in scene or before the scene. It doesn't, not, not necessarily unique to the magical show, but just in drama in yeah. general. And it was just like, hey, hey, we kicked ass. Oh, we didn't. <laughs> Wham. And here was the biggest reason it was shocking. And I talked last time I was on about the language of film. And I did that as sort of a primer to talk about this show because the show is really built in the language of the Magical Girl show. And it starts that way. And it looks like it's a Magical Girl show in all these different ways. But like I said, the art had kind of a dark side to it and the music. And that was just hinting at what was to come, that the show wasn't really what it seemed to be at first. And this was the moment that you suddenly saw that in this very sudden, brutal death. It's like it suddenly went attack on Titan. And this is just the beginning. After this, things just get worse and worse for the main characters as they delve deeper into this world. And deeper into the world of pain and depression and despair, which is continuing on going very much against how Magical Girl shows work in both the art and the storyline. But it's not completely not a Magical Girl show. Now, a lot of this stuff borrows from the horror genre. And it's actually a lot of ways a psychological horror show, but it's still very much a Magical Girl show. And that's really the point. It's a deconstruction of the Magical Girl show. All the common tropes in Magical Girl shows are still there, but they're flipped over and reexamined. The magical trinket, the mysterious girl who seems to know more than she lets on, the cute critter, all these things are looked at in a totally different light. Uh, for example, if the little critter really was an alien, would it think the same way we do? Would it have the same values? It's just a interesting deconstruction that takes apart the genre while still being within it, making something old into something new. Now, you might be wondering why I'm recommending a show that requires a familiarity with a genre to really appreciate it for really what it is. That's a good question, but I think it's a really good show anyway. The artwork, the music, and the storyline, the, the wonderfully dark and complicated storyline, and what happens to the characters and where they go with, with their story, is excellently done and very tight little storytelling in this 12-episode series. It's also important in the world of anime in general. It is a game-changer. It has redefined the magical girl genre, and this formula has been applied to other genres since then. I can think of um, Selector We Cross series applied this genre to the card battle game series, like you know Yu-Gi-Oh or Card Fight Vanguard, where it showed this card game destroying these girls' lives. I'm sure that sold lots of booster packs, and it influenced anime in a more general way to visit some more darker themes again. So, leading the way for stuff like Attack on Titan. Jordan, do you have any thoughts on it? 
I would equate this to the Watchmen. Um, hmm. because Watchmen did the same thing in 86. They, they took the hero trope and blew it up. What if the heroes were real people? What if it was the real world? And what if the heroes weren't heroic? Right. What that if was the heroes were really just people and had all of people's foibles. Right. That was very much a deconstruction of the superhero genre. Yes. And so, and Watchmen did that. And sadly, I think the comic industry is the work. That was an excellent story, but the comic industry is worse for it because like for 20 years, everything has had to be hard, edgy and grit, edgy and gritty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just for our listeners, I think that's, that's a good reference point for, for what, uh, Madoka Magica did to, I hadn't to the thought Magical of that. Girl. But yeah, that, that's exactly right. A lot of people compare it to Neon Genesis Evangelion, which did the same thing to the giant robot shows in the mid nineties. But as to this story, I really rather enjoyed it because it it did start off kind of light, but uh, and I'm not against that. But like like I said when we first talked about it, every app was really kind of three pieces of art, and mm-hmm. I really liked the labyrinths because the labyrinths because it's just it was really trippy. The witches were never just a person; there was always, uh, you know, they were always like freaky and their environments were freaky around them incredibly creative yes but like like just totally whacked out but also structured there was the world they were in made sense and the girls were able to navigate that it took them there was always a moment where they acclimated to the labyrinth but then you know it took them a second to figure out what the physics there were but then they they adjusted and they fought the witch on the witch's terms Usually one, but beyond that, it was still a very good story because it was not all light. It, it was a very sharp drop off when mommy dies. Uh, mm-hmm. and then it gets really, really dark because like QB, that was kind of telegraphed, but they just went beyond not necessarily not benign to all the way to like, this is like a far reaching plan these people have. You know, this is a universe spanning plan, not just one planet, not even just one country, you know. It's such a fascinating character. Yes. They have interesting discussions about is the character evil? Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not really clear. It's from, he does a good job of, uh, of defending his point of how, how can you say I'm evil when we're not even talking about the same points of reference? Yeah, and that's sort of the point of the character. And it, it does a good job even going all the way to the end where Madoka thinks she has won, but she hasn't. The, the I don't core, want to give away too much of the no, ending, but, but it, there, there's two she, ways to in- interpret that ending. Yeah, and, well, clearly, I've given what I thought mine was, you know. I, you know, the, the story, her story ends, but the story doesn't. And the way it ends, it makes you think, makes you question whether really was Madoka's story or whether it was somebody else's. It's a big question of it's really Madoka's show or if it's Homura's show. Mm-hmm. And the episode around Homura, which is the best episode of the series, yes. where it tells her story, really kind of gives a shift to it. Yep. And you can really see it from her from her very beginning, see it from her perspective. Yes. You can argue all the way to the ending, which of the characters is the main one. And I think you get a different answer for the ending, depending on who you think is the lead at that point. Because mm-hmm. I think there's three... I, you, I mean, you could argue for all, well, except Mame, but, um, <laughs> it, it's either Madoka, 
Homura or Kube himself itself. Those are, yeah. th- those are the three that I think it, 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 if, it, if you're going to say that it's this person, this person's story, those are the three to my mind that are the, the front runners. Well, this one's easy to find. Crunchyroll has it. I found it on Hulu, Netflix, and I bought the Anaplex Blu-rays for a ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've never heard of you doing that before, John. <laughs> they had these, um, of course, special edition collections. <laughs> Broke this 12 episode series into three box sets. $100 each. Oh, ridiculous. They all had Don's name on it. <laughs> we made these just for Don. Well, then I paid Anna a lot. Flex would like to thank Don Z yeah. for our bonuses this year. <laughs> then I paid a lot of money to get the movies. And the first two movies are the same thing. This are just a show all over again. I didn't know that. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> just as a what side a observation. Like I've said before, I'm not always keen on the music in, mm-hmm. in uh, anime. This is a show that from start to finish, both the actual credits and then the, the soundtrack music, I enjoyed. If I was going to get like the Fate State, uh, Fate Zero discs, I tried listening to that and it was, meh, 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 meh. but I know you really liked it, but mm-hmm, it didn't mm-hmm. do much for me. But if they did this as just a soundtrack disc, this is probably something that I would get because it is such distinct sets of music. You could actually use some of it as mu- mood music in like an RPG or something. Oh yeah. There's some really excellent sound on, uh, in that, uh, in the sound, sound in the soundtrack, music in the soundtrack. <laughs> well, that comes with the special editions. So. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yes. I love the soundtracks too. I've listened to them many times. Don will give you his for relatively. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut you a deal. Ninety five dollars <laughs> each. <laughs> Used. <laughs> All right. So what we're watching? Sponsored by Matthew R, one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Matthew, for supporting us on Patreon. Game of Thrones. Finally yep. had a good app. Not according to some people. This up was good. The rest of it, I, I thought it was a good. Well, I've enjoyed the series in, in full, but there's a lot of people that apparently, especially people that didn't read the books, they're like, oh, it's just The Walking Dead now. <laughs> there was a slight speed zombie feel to it, but I, I got yeah. more to like at the time when they were all. Have you seen it? You're not watching. I don't have HBO yeah. right now, so. When they were all leaping off the cliff to get down to the shore, Sarah was like, did they watch World War Z? Yeah, I got the, <laughs> I got that World War Z 28 days later kind of vibe for a while there too, or the, the Dawn of the Dead remake, which I'm still going to go on record. Hey, I love old school zombie movies just like anybody else. But if you want to scare the shit out of me, make a zombie that makes me realize I have never done enough cardio. <laughs> Rule number one, double tap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and then of course there's the come at me bro moment. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, that's what I said too. Yeah. And, and, and my, my comment was, you know, that, that whole ending scene there and they kind of fade out and like, they're not rowing at all. Well, that's <laughs> like, it. I'm like, how long are they going to sit there like three feet away yeah. from the dock? They just pushed off with one oar. They haven't, got, even the giant is walking away and they're just sitting there watching shit. I was, and I was like, why didn't, why didn't you guys have the giant grab the front of your ship? I mean, the giant's clear. like, shit's still on me. I'm just throwing it. I'm out of here. I'm walking. 
I'll pull a boat if I have to. But he didn't. That's the thing that cracked me up. They All the people are there. The Thens get cranky and leave. And there's just the one giant. And he's sitting there like, what boat do you think you're getting on? <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you're 15 feet tall. There's uh, no boats. Are you going to water ski on a couple? Who knows? Uh, anyways, Game of Thrones. I thought the season has been pretty weak so far, but this was a nice solid app. And this was ep eight. So since Ep9 is usually the big shoot their wad moment, they kind of shot it here. There's not a lot going forward that's going to be if they wrap up what they're doing and they are kind of sticking to in the book. There's no big moment for the battle like Blackwater or you know anything like that. This was the battle and it's a battle that was awesome. But so I'm wondering how nine and 10 are just going to kind of yeah, nine at most. I mean, is looks like the arena fights. Yeah, which you know has an okay moment in it, but it's not this big spectacular that we've kind of been used to. Yeah, it's. But they're at the points in the books where they don't have really that much to work with anyway. So yeah. I think they're doing a good job with little source material. Right. Yeah. Anyway, Arrow and Flash have wrapped up. Their season finales were enjoyable. I power watched. Uh, the entire second season of Log Horizon in a couple weeks. So I guess that's not technically power watching. I didn't do it in like a weekend, but that was really good. And it was a great setup for season three. So I hope they actually do season three. And then as Don knows, I also did power watch through in like two days. Bento. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which was a really fun fight club type show. It was really, really fun. Fight Club with some fan service. It was hilarious. I really, really... For Bento. It. Yes. <laughs> oh, look. The Bento's half price. I will, Why am I, I in the hospital? I will have you know that I got a uh, message from Cyrus yesterday, the day before, uh, where he listened to that episode. And he's like, and now... I, and he was talking about, now I'm going to set up an underground fight club for lunchboxes. <laughs> Well, I watched this app and then I thought to myself, you know, we could get this going at high V because they're always putting out their, their roto chickens there at the end of the day from eight bucks to four bucks just at the front of the store. That's the thing with the show. It knows how silly it is, but it takes it seriously enough that you kind of like, yeah, I could get into we that. We could do this. Yeah. We could do this. Back in university, some of us would just get together to spar for no reason, go to the gym. Yeah. At least now there's food involved. There's a prize. <laughs> hardly recommend it if you want some lighthearted drama with a good dose of humor that's that's what i'm watching Don, all right i watched the next set of dvds of naruto shippuden they're in the middle of a great ninja war and they're mostly just regrouping some infiltration stuff it was decent but it was 12 episodes of that so that's kind of a, a lot of episodes of that saint Seiya, the original saint Seiya from back in the 80s i think it was Number of years ago, ADV put out a bunch of DVDs of it, got the first 60 episodes out, and then said they didn't have the rest. They didn't just stop in the middle of an arc, they stopped in the middle of a fight. <laughs> it wasn't until now that I finally get to watch the rest of it as a different company. Now you feel my... Yeah, that's pretty much it right there. Just <laughs> stop in the middle of that fight. Next time on... <laughs> Never! So I still haven't seen the entire series. This is just the first so-called Sanctuary arc. The second arc doesn't exist here anywhere. The third arc is on Netflix. <laughs> I can piece it together. But, but at least I saw the first arc, and, well, I don't like it any more than I did back then, so. 
Ah, it's another one of those. It was a good 60 hours, except they had to talk. <laughs> except for they put stuff on the screen. <laughs> I've I've never been a Saint Seiya fan with the, the style of show it is. But then Saint Seiya Omega was actually a good show. So thought maybe I'd like it better, but I didn't. On Crunchyroll, I watched the uh, 26th episode, was it? Series Dragon Collection. No, it was 52. It's uh, based on, I think it was originally a mobile game, then became a collectible card arcade game. About the game is where you collect different monsters and do fighting stuff. Never heard of such a thing. What a novel <laughs> concept. Yeah, not, nothing new. In the series, a boy gets sucked into a different world where they do that for real, where they collect monsters and summon them and battle each other. And he goes on an adventure with a couple other kids. The show doesn't take itself too seriously. It kind of knows what it is and has fun with it, which really worked well for the show. And it's still a kid show, but it was kind of does it with some pizzazz and fun and silliness. That worked well. One thing that the episodes are only half the usual length. They're about 12, 12 minutes long, which really helped the show in that it was, it was like usually in a, in a show, they have like 12 minutes of setup and then 12 minutes of payoff. This was kind of like just 12 minutes of payoff over and over again. So I actually enjoyed it. Then on Funimation's site, I watched a series, Garo the Animation. Garo is a bigger property in Japan of for live action stuff. The animated series does not follow the same universe as the regular show. It takes place in an alternate medieval world where witches are being hunted down. But it turns out that some of these so-called witches or warlocks are actually people that hunt demons and try to keep them away from the populace. Uh, the show is about these handful of people that are still fighting the demons using this magical armor. It's actually a really smartly written, stylish show that I um, I enjoyed quite a bit. The first half of it was really neat, the, the build-up first 12 episodes to the big fight with the bad guy. But then the second half, the second 12, was kind of fallout from all that. And that was even better. So a really solid show. Then there was a movie I watched, Garden of Sinners Recalled Out Summer. Garden of Sinners is a series of movies I watched a few years back that was made based on a bunch of, I believe they were online novels. Well, this was a novel that never actually got made, but it was planned that they made a, a movie for. So it kind of adds into the rest of them. It takes place kind of in the middle of the rest of them. Neat supernatural story in the modern day world about a girl who can see the lines of death in things. And her and her little group that deal with very supernatural phenomena. In this particular one, uh, she was hunted down by a serial bomber who could see the future. She makes it kind of hard to avoid. Pretty good movie. Then, Hanamoto Gatari, a five-episode series to follow up the Monogatari second season, which is a follow-up to Bakemono Gatari and Nisei Monogatari. Uh, the Monogatari series is one of my absolute favorites, done by Akiki Shinbu, who I just talked about, where he goes out all out with his style. It is tons of surrealism and some excellent, complicated storytelling about people dealing with apparitions. The whole second series is about completing people's storylines, and this was the the completion of Conboro's storyline. And once again, I was just enthralled every minute of it. This is the only show I watch with my hand on the pause button because of the way they do their um, uh, text on screen. Right now, I'm watching through a series called Ace of the Diamond on Crunchyroll. Got that in my queue. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I highly good. recommend it. Good. 75 episodes in the first season, and they're working on a second season now. It's a baseball show. <laughs> it's about a kid just about to go into high school who gets scouted by a Tokyo school to join their baseball team. Now this kid, he's, he's kind of an interesting lead character in that he wears everything on his sleeve. 
He has no control over his, well, he doesn't try to control his emotions in any way. He just blurts everything out all the time, which tends to get him in a lot of trouble. Don't I know? He doesn't have a very fast pitch or much control, but he has a very unique pitch, which is good enough to get him on the team, but he's the kind of character that, you know, he's not consistent enough and he could be screwing up. So it's really edge of your seat stuff. Sometimes it's, Sometimes when I'm sitting there, I feel my heart beating. I'm like, yeah, this is actually working for me. <laughs> I'm really enjoying the heck out of it. After we record here, I'm going home watching more of it. I'm just seriously enjoying the show. This last weekend, I watched a 12-episode series called Magical Warfare. It was released by Sentai Filmworks. It's about a boy and a couple of his friends who get pulled into an alternate world where wizards are having a war. Where they suddenly get magical powers and they join the school there. To learn about magic. Uh, the best way to describe this show is terrible. <laughs> uh, I'm listening. Let me add it to my cue right yeah. now. It, I'm intrigued. <laughs> everything in it was just recycled material that was only barely repackaged. Which in and of itself isn't terrible. But the characters were bland. And the, the screenplay was just awful. The character motivations made no sense. The Agents way- of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, the first season of that, like the screenplay was just terrible, right? It, it, it was like that except worse in this one. It's like, wow, it just the way everything's set up, the, the dialogue, everything about it is just a fail. It's not without, I, I tend to look at the bright side of things, not the bad side. What it, are you doing in this room? I know, I don't fit. <laughs> but in this case, it's, the bad just outweighed the good. And that ending. They must have been expecting to do a second core of it because that's the only way I can explain that train wreck. <laughs> now you shall feel my <laughs> like forcing fights that no longer made sense because they were destined and dropping off in the middle of plot storylines, just completely cutting them off. It, it was so weird. And then this weekend, I also watched the 20 episode series Nisekoi again by director Akiki Shinbu. So I've been watching a lot of great stuff lately. This is a story about a young boy who's the only son of a Yakuza boss who meets a a transfer student, young girl in his class, and they hit it off in the worst possible way and just hate each other, just fighting all the time. Well, the boy goes home and his Yakuza family is on the verge of a big war with a bunch of gangsters. And the two leads, two heads of the families, decide that they're going to cool this whole thing by having his daughter and and the Yakuza's son become a couple, keep the two sides from going to war. And sure enough, it's the girl he hates from school. It, it's, you know, it's common material. It's nothing too surprising, but the whole show is really smart. It's hilarious. It's touching, stylish. I just loved everything about the show. I had a great time watching it, laughing out loud over and over again. Really enjoyed it. There's a second season going right now. I'm really excited to watch that. Really wish it wasn't Anaplex putting it out because it's going to burn my wallet again. You don't have to buy it. You're not legally obligated to keep Anaplex in business. I, I know I'm not. Man, some, that's the thing with the Anaplex. They, they, that's right. Yeah. Hook me up, man. Give me a hit. They, they get these shows that are just, I just love them. Fate Zero, Madoka Magica, Nisako. It's like, I got to have these shows, but man, they, Burn me up. <laughs> I think that's how they survive, is just having the cream of the crop sort of stuff. 
instead of doing lots of material, they're just doing a couple very specific ones and charging a lot for them. But that's it for me. All right. I am also watching Game of Thrones, obviously. <laughs> and I uh, wrapped up Arrow and Flash as well. Uh, beyond that, uh, Orphan Black, I think oh, yeah, I we're a show. We might be an episode or two behind because I know we had, had some build up and I don't know if we are completely caught up. Uh, Silicon Valley, still watching that too. I think we're, uh, an episode behind on that. That's a lot of fun. That's an easy one for us to get caught up on because it's one of those half hour shows. So American Ninja Warrior is started again. So that suddenly hitting our, sh- our, uh, our TV again. And then we finally got to go see the Mad Max Fury Road movie, which was awesome. Don't care what you say, Carl. <laughs> Uh, I hate to agree with Kakarl, but it wasn't awesome. It was okay. It was, it was awesome. I had a lot of fun with it. I had fun. It wasn't a Mad Max movie. Mad Max was in there. <laughs> a dude possibly named Max was in there. <laughs> but it was uh, Furiosa. Yeah. I'm fine with it. It was a fun movie. Yeah, it was a good movie. I mean, it it definitely did not let up. <laughs> that was, I think, Megan. Two-hour car chase. I think Megan walked out exhausted. <laughs> But yeah, so we finally got to go see that. Uh, other than that, let's see. I watched, uh, Feast again recently because I just recorded with Royal Monster Battalion. Uh, so that'll be coming out in the near future. So, uh, Mike and Jeff, uh, watched Feast from my recommendation and invited me on to review it with them. So we recorded that here recently. When's Two Bald Geeks going to have a new app out? That just came out. Nice try. <laughs> Speaking of Two Bald Geeks, I watched Maniac. The remake, and I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna try to sneak in the original too, uh, cause that is the next one we're actually recording. Not the next one that'll come out, but the next one that we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's what I've been watching. So what we're reading slash listening to, uh, sponsored by Michael Mendez. Thank you very much, Michael, for supporting us over on Patreon. And let's see. Um, I'll go. I've only got like two. <laughs> uh, I said I had a bunch of comics last time when we were recording, but I, and I still do, but I haven't had a lot of time to read, but I did get caught up on Saga and Rat Queens. I made sure I caught up on those two. Gary. So, yep. Yeah. Yes, man. They, they didn't yell at Gary. Spoiler alert. Gary doesn't get yelled at, <laughs> but he's there. But he's there, coming in. Oh, oh, something was happening. <laughs> just fumbles in after everything's done. That was that was I I enjoyed that though. I like you had talked about it last time, uh, and I hadn't read it yet. But the I I did enjoy the ending of this arc and stuff, and and the new artist and everything as well. So mm-hmm. I thought they did a really good job with it. And so, actually, I'm not caught up with Saga yet. I still got a couple more to read. I think so. I'm still not sure where that is going yet. <laughs> uh, so I have a couple more of those to do, but I'm going to be reading some like suicide risk and some other things that I hopefully will be caught up with here soon. That's me. Nothing. <laughs> you expand on that. <laughs> so what do you like about nothing? <laughs> it doesn't take any time. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of things that would bore a lot of people. So I just stick to the non boring stuff. I've, Started and finished. I don't know if I mentioned it the last time. Uh, the Heist by Daniel Silva, Gabriel Alon book. It wasn't that good. 
I'm currently listening to The Kraken Project by Douglas Preston. I think I mentioned it last time. This is a guy that writes questionable tech in amusing situations. And this is about an AI. NASA accidentally develops an AI for, it really reminded me of a, an app of the $6 million man. They're building a probe to go to uh, the moon Titan. And they develop, they accidentally develop a full-fledged AI, not just like data, not just a really smart computer. They actually make data. Whoops. Yeah. And through some questionable writing, the AI escapes from the probe that was being tested, stress tested, and out into the internet. And as everybody knows, the internet is just sunshine and puppies. Never let an AI onto the internet. No. <laughs> and the AI just encounters what you would expect. Just pick your worst possible Google search term, and that's what it gets. So the AI gets a little angry at its creator and goes on this little, you told me the world was great and wonderful, and it sucks. It's nothing but violence and anger and people killing each other. And some cats. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, the, the main, one of the mains is like, well, yeah, you're on the internet. <laughs> that was the most realistic part of Avengers 2. After Ultron was on the internet for five seconds, he decided to destroy the world. Yes. So, I'm, not quite sure how far I am into the story, but I'm going to finish it because it's, uh, I'm not going to say bad, but it's, it's one of those books that makes me want to go. It got published. <laughs> <laughs> That's just terrible. <laughs> um, I mean, Douglas Preston, he does these other, he, he usually writes with another author and he does these series of procedural crime books that are kind of okay listens in the car when we're on a road trip. That's, that's how I find these, found this person. And I've listened to one of his other standalone books and it was okay. And, but this one's like, why? Why? Anyway, <laughs> I've started listening to a book called Coban. I heard about it like a couple of years ago on a different podcast and they ragged on it really bad because the reader that was so horrible, but apparently Audible got somebody to redo it in a much more palatable, uh, method of reading and they gave it away like for free if you already if you bought the crap version you get the good version for free uh which i hadn't bought the crap version but i had a credit so i figured okay like there's three people three or four the top three or four reviews were like wow this is actually listenable now so i'm okay <laughs> dude said it was a good book so i'll give it a shot and it's interesting it's it's reminded me of the cover art is reminding me of like the Larry Niven series from back in the day, the man Zin Wars, the Zindi or whatever they were called. Anyways, it's humans and lion people, according to the, to the cover of the book. Bad things have just started to happen. So I want to go home and listen to that. Uh, and then on the comic side, I've read the first four issues of Convergence, which is DC's latest crisis, non-crisis while they're moving their offices from New York to Los Angeles. It's taken over the last couple of months. It's dumb. <laughs> and uh, I regret it, but I want to see what the new universe is going to look like after, so I'm kind of committed to reading it. It sucks. There's a Jordan we know and love. 
The art is questionable. Uh, it's just, uh, they're doing everything to be a crisis without being a crisis. So much of the art is hearkening back to the original crisis and then, uh, final crisis. They've, uh, it's just no, it's just no. It's like, I, it was going to be two months of throwaway and this is what they choose to do to celebrate the 30th anniversary of crisis by having shit crisis. It's just stop DC. <laughs> and, and then just like out of nowhere, they focus around warlord, this like C list character that I really like. I, I really enjoy it, but this battle planet that they're on TM Marvel, um, <laughs> is like at the heart of the planet is, is the warlord's domain. This is no, this is totally ramping up the warlord into a place he should never be. Cause this is not how he deals in the DC universe. He has his own little planet. He does his own little thing. Occasionally he pops up, has a little tie in with some other like B listers or brings some A listers down for like three panels. Not even that, not even that often. The, the warlord, he doesn't do this. And now they've turned everything into warlord world, which is no. One of the writers is Jeff King. You uh, bastard. <laughs> and that's that's all I've been doing on the reading and watching or listening. What we're playing. Sponsored by Torin, one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you very much, Torin, for supporting us on Patreon. I have all of two things. They are none of them are tabletop. <laughs> Cause I've barely had time to do anything other than when we've played for review. <laughs> so, uh, I'll go real quick. Far Cry 4. Again, that's my someday, someday. <laughs> I think I'm still only at like 60 some percent on that game. Someday I will complete that game, but it's going to be a very slow road if it's all like, like five minutes at a time and <laughs> jump off to go do something else. And then, uh, one of the, Cheap games from Xbox Gold was Beach Buggy Racing, which is basically a indie style kind of almost knockoff of a Mario Kart kind of game. Uh, and since Meg and I have both enjoyed Mario Kart in the past, went ahead and picked it up. It was like seven, eight bucks, something like that. So I played that a few times and, uh, just to play it because we, I downloaded it, see what it was like and showed it to Megan the other night. So she knew it was there. That's all I've been playing. Monday nights, I got a D&D group online run by my cousin. It's been fun. I'm playing a barbarian, half-orc. I'm pretty dumb. I like to... Do you use... How's your character? <laughs> <laughs> Do you uh, use that voice? I play barbarian, half-orc. <laughs> uh, I also have my own NPR uh, channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on FPR, Faerun Public Radio. <laughs> Are you in fifth or an older edition? It's fifth edition. I'm trying that out. I'm enjoying it. It's fun playing a stupid character sometimes. I picked one that wouldn't talk much so I could sit back and relax. Board game side, I'm still playing Cthulhu Wars. Still enjoying what? the heck out of that. You're kind of obligated to. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get my money's worth, right? <laughs> Another tick on the board. <laughs> trying to get that sucker paid off. And I'm going to feel like I broke even. <laughs> I've taught that game so many times now. Oh my gosh. Got some smash up in. Always enjoying that. Got my uh, horses smashed by princesses. My Sunday night gaming group, online gaming group, is doing the usual stuff. Some Torchlight 2. One we just picked up on a hum- Humble Bundle. 
was uh, Primal Carnage, which we played last Sunday, one where a bunch of people play as dinosaurs and a bunch of people play as people with guns trying to survive the dinosaurs. Simple, fun, shoot them up verse or eat them, you know, whichever side you choose. Eat them up, yum. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Don't know if we'll play it often, but we enjoyed it for a night. Been playing more Tales games. Still playing Tales of Zillia 2, putting lots and lots of hours into that. <laughs> and I went back to Tales of Graces F, which if you know Tales, you're like, what the heck, man? That's like at least two games old. <laughs> yeah, well, a couple years ago, I was playing that game through with my friend and my sister. And then she moved to Iowa to finish schooling. Well, she just moved back to Rochester. <laughs> And we started like, no, no. Oh, that's that's dedication to the group right that's there. Right. <laughs> that one is probably the most complicated Tales games there is. Especially in terms of battle. I love the combat system, but you got to be good. You got to know it and be good at it. So there's just no way we could pick it up late in the game. So we started over. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, loving it. And here's an interesting one. Uh, VGA Planets. It's like, Play by email space conquest game. I've been playing since high school. So yeah, a long time ago. Same game or? Yeah, game. <laughs> what is it? Diplomacy? Risk? <laughs> For like the 486 back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, that was version three. Been on version four since I was in college. Never really quite finished it, but you know, it's like a super board game. You know, it's tons and tons of little things to tweak and control. Well, I made a, my own race for the game like 13, 14 years ago. Spent all kinds of time learning how to do 3D modeling and stuff. For various reasons, it didn't happen. So I waited a long time. Damn you, investing in price, and then I never got to use it. <laughs> well, the uh, original creator stopped working on it. Somebody else picked it up. I tapped him, and he said, oh, yeah, let's do that. So my race is now in the game after all this time, and, I, and I'm playing it in games, and I'm having fun, you know, trying to work out the balance kinks and stuff like that. But yay! <laughs> That's it for me. Dear Jordan. Also a small list. As has been the pretty much standard game for uh, my Star Wars fix these days is Armada. I have yet to win a game. Uh, talking earlier about liking having that sense that you know when you've lost a game. The last <laughs> game I know exactly what I lost. When you designed your fleet? No, no. My <laughs> fleet did everything that I wanted to do. I was going So to- when you designed your fleet? No, no. Screw you. <laughs> My fleet did everything I wanted to do. I was going up against a twin star destroyer list and I had assault ship and, uh, a, a nebula. No, which, no, I took the, uh, the Tantive. Well, I didn't take the name Tantive, but I took the CR 90 and a bunch of bombers. And the scenario was you got VPs for shooting people in the ass. So shooting ships in the ass. And uh, so my plan was just get straight ahead and get all my bombers behind him as much as possible. If I get the bonus of actually destroying one of his Star Destroyers, awesome. But I was just planning on racking up the VPs by shooting them in the ass. Because the Empire can... Re- um, they get a lot of engineering points, so they can repair their shields and their hull really, really fast, like every turn if they want to. So my plan had just been to rack up the points by destroying his fighters and, and getting the victory points, not giving him anything of note to shoot at. However, he got one round of good shooting. And with Star Destroyers, you really only need one round of good shooting. <laughs> and he pretty much 
left me in a position of having to either stay where I was and not get to use any of my defensive powers or move forward and give him an even better shot next turn. It was, how do I want to die? So I went forward hoping to be able to maneuver out of two, uh, to be just in one of his uh, firing arcs. Unfortunately, I didn't quite make it and I stayed in two firing arcs and got pounded into space dust. And he won the game because he took out one ship, which was more points than all the fighters and all the VPs that I had uh, earned for shooting him in the ass. So my plan was working, except for that one decision. If I'd stayed back and given him a long shot instead of a short shot, I feel I would have won because we were going into the last round. Anyways, it's a really solid game. I really like it. I can't get enough of it. Played a few games, a couple games of uh, the Call of Cthulhu LCG. Just out of the starter box, uh, just mixing and matching the, uh, the starter decks that come with the, for the various factions. I like it. It's pretty solid. It's, it's enjoyable. It's, um, the Cthulhu mythos is there and, uh, you can go insane. So, hey, awesome. Uh, always a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first game where they tested out the LCG model. That was the first card game they did it with, like way before they did Game of Thrones. They were, they had that one, uh, cause it has, it, it, it doesn't have as huge, or at the time it didn't have as huge a following here in the States, but it was really big overseas. Mm-hmm. So like, it's like even at Gen Con, most of the Call of Cthulhu tournaments were for people coming from overseas. Like there's hardly anybody from the States in the tournaments. So that was the first one. They're like, we've got this big contingency overseas but it's not selling as well over here so that's the first time they tried out the lcg model i mean it's been on my shelf for like two years i'm like damn it i'm going to play this <laughs> <laughs> missed uh numenera for the last couple of weeks because they've been on vacation but um you talk about liking to play a dumb character one of the dudes i, I had to ask today because we're playing tomorrow night and i just wanted to make sure i was still in the dude's good graces because sometimes people don't differentiate <laughs> riding on a character versus riding on the player. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And his character <laughs> is the meat shield, and he's not bright. But that's how he was designed. He's not there to fail, to, to pass any intelligence checks. <laughs> so whenever I was getting a dig in on him, I was, I always make sure to try to get a character name in there so the person knows. By the end of the night, I was just getting looks like, dude, why are you riding me so hard? <laughs> and possibly I was, but I'm like, so I asked, he, he does realize I was, I was riding his character, right? Not, not him. And the GM was like, I don't know. <laughs> and the other player was like, eh, even if he didn't, he's probably forgotten because he, he lets that stuff go pretty quick. I'm like, okay, good. Cause we're playing tomorrow night. I would like to meet <laughs> shield to shield me if needed. <laughs> And that's really uh, all I've been playing. I've been doing some work on my minis. I've completed some VC stuff. I got Krell done recently, and then I did a Mounted Lord and a Mounted Necromancer. And I'm also working right now on a, another Demon Prince, and I've got uh, some Skull Crushers on the go, and uh, some Fargeist, a Zombie ga- a Dragon, and a Terrorgeist. I just get into something, and then I stop, and I move on to something next. My desk is never going to get empty at this rate. Uh, <laughs> I don't really care because I like painting, but I look at this stuff and I go, come on, if I just put in a few more hours, you could actually go on the shelf now instead of just sitting on my desk and being cat bait. <laughs> Two of my models have now been broken in the last week. 
That's, but anyways, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm playing and that's what I'm working on. Okay. I did remember the one thing I was going to talk about up front. And that was that we are, uh, now that Amazon, and this has been a while, I just haven't gone back and researched it, but they're done with their tizzy over people being in Minnesota and having affiliates. Mm. We're an Amazon affiliate again. Hey. Uh, now that they're done being pissy about that, <laughs> it's like now that they're collecting taxes, finally, like, okay, well, uh, people in Minnesota can be affiliates again. And again, this happened a while ago. I just, never went back so that is uh we are uh, an amazon affiliate again i don't have i think the main link up on the site yet but what i started with episode 57 i believe is in our show notes whenever we talk about a product that's on amazon i have a link back to to there so uh if you're checking our show notes and you start noticing more and more links uh in our show notes that's why those things point back to Amazon with our Amazon affiliate link. So if you're looking for another way to support the show, if there's something we talk about that you want to kind of maybe go buy over on Amazon if you use our link, then we'll get a little cut uh so and we'd appreciate that. So that was all I was going to say. For instance, very soon probably Dead Men Tell No Tales. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. So that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you very much, Don, for coming and uh, hanging out with us again. Always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, you're here. <laughs> you need somebody. Yeah. Uh, well, I've had somebody uh, say they want to audition. All right. Bring him or her on. I can do I also, every other Tuesday off. For an anime role? Because I'm worried. <laughs> uh, I, I also uh, was told I was fired, which like relieved me to no end because that meant somebody else was taking over. <laughs> Uh, so no. All right. Thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Nope. Not doing it. Thank you for checking out United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Zero Budget Geek, a YouTube channel covering board games, video games, and other geek stuff. You'll find Let's Play and How to Play videos of different board games and video games, as well as reviews. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com. Do what you like and like how you feel Cause y'all are the real deal, holy fear